0: First rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I am Mike Spring, and I'm Phil Edwards. And Phil, I'm excited to be here. We've had a week off, and uh, I missed I missed you, and I missed talking about movies. So I'm I'm happy to be back.
1: I know what you mean. I missed you too, Mike. But I've just got to remind you that you're not special. You're not a beautiful or unique snowflake. You're the same decaying organic matter as everything else. But apart from that, it's uh, <laughs> it is good to be talking to you again. Been you know, I've missed you.
0: You know, I. I'd like to think that that is a direct quote from one of our films tonight, but I have a sneaking suspicion that it's really just your truthful words coming out, and that hurts. That hurts me, Phil.
1: I just wanted to say that to you, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that that was the perfect time. I mean, really, if you're gonna if you're gonna hit me with deep, cutting, personal words, I, I think nothing, no better time than the opening of our show that we're recording for people to listen to all that's, over the world.
1: That's true, because Mike, I see you as one of the strongest and smartest men who ever lived. I see his potential, <laughs> and I see see it squandered. God damn it. Entire generation pumping gas, waiting tables, slaves with white collars. Oh, it's a raging coffee. film. Yeah. That's that's me. That's probably the angriest
0: I get. All right.
1: But I think there could be a clue there for people uh, as to what other what films is we're doing uh, today.
0: Yes, I mean beyond the clue of it being in the name of the episode and yeah. probably on their iPhone or desktop where they listen to this, and you know, the fact that we told them last week what movies we're doing. But but yes, if they've ignored all of those yeah. clues, yeah. It is then then that should give them a clue as to what movie what movie one of the movies we're doing tonight. That's
1: right, and that movie is Daddy Daycare.
0: That's right. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that famous bit Eddie Murphy, you know, getting all the kids together in this like Fight Club under under the daycare center.
0: I I have to admit after after working. Well, tell people the other movie first. Yeah,
1: so it's Fight Club and Daddy Daycare. We're going after the ending of.
0: I I was gonna say I have to admit that um, after doing this, I I really want to see a mashup between Fight Club and Daddy Daycare. (laughs) Yeah, I I really want to see that. I feel like there is some really great comedic potential there
1: as an animated feature because then it's uh you know then you can do
0: right yeah you can that way you can have kids fighting and yeah no, it's yeah, not, yeah it's not but I, I was just something about the idea of like a bunch of kids in like a daycare like having like a kid fight club i i really want to see someone make
1: that. <laughs> oh that's so wrong would it be so funny
0: it is wrong <laughs> yeah. but it's it's still funny <laughs> yeah. it'd be like little kids going the
1: first rule of fight club
0: exactly <laughs> oh yeah oh brilliant. yeah that would be good yeah, but let's get into our film, shall we? Yes,
1: uh, let's uh, let's get started. Which film should we do first? Oh, I think we'll go with Daddy Daycare. That works for me. Do you want to want us through the events of the film?
0: I will. Uh, but first, I should say that apparently there was a sequel to Daddy Daycare called Daddy Day Camp. But they recast all of the main characters and it was kind of dumped into theaters. It only made about $18 million and is considered like one of the worst sequels of all time. So I, we're not counting that because it's completely different actors and doesn't seem to have any real association with the first, the first film, even though technically it's the same character. Yeah, but. yeah. Well, it's, I didn't it's, even realize that, that movie existed. Yeah, I didn't know it existed either. So do you want to take us through what happens in the first film? Sure thing. Here we go. Charlie Hinton, played by Eddie Murphy, is an executive whose lawyer wife has just gone back to work. When he and his friend Phil, played by Jeff Garland, are laid off, they decide to open a daycare in Charlie's home. Parents are reluctant at first to leave their kids with the two dads, but since it's cheaper than the expensive nearby Chapman Academy, they start to get clients. Miss Harridan of the Chapman Academy tries to get them to shut down, but they become more and more popular, and their friend Marvin, played by Steve Zahn, joins them in running it when he falls for Kelly, one of the kid's moms. When they need to expand, they hold a fundraiser, but Miss Harridan sabotages it, forcing Daddy Daycare to shut down and Charlie and Phil to take their old jobs back. But Charlie realizes he enjoyed bonding with his young son and the other kids, so he and Phil quit get Marvin and storm Chapman Academy and win back all of the kids, becoming wildly successful and eventually shutting the Chapman Academy down and getting their new building. And that's Daddy Daycare. Yeah, very
1: good. I I quite enjoy this film. It's a bit silly, but it's just one of those silly little films.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. you know it's a good it's a good yeah. funny like family comedy, nice like family comedy. Yeah, you yeah. know it's 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 pr- relatively tame, but it does have some good laugh out loud moments. I mean, Eddie Murphy was always great in comedies, you know. So this was sort of after he sort of took that family friendly turn that he did with like Doctor Doolittle and stuff like that. But this one is a funny movie. I mean, it's not yeah cinematic genius or anything, but it's a it's a fun yeah. way to kill ninety minutes. Yeah, it passes it passes the afternoon, keeps the kids occupied. Right, exactly. But now you
1: did a good uh, good roundup of the events that happened in it.
0: Thank you. All right, well let's hear what's going on in your day after, shall we?
1: Okay, my day after. Charlie, Phil and Marvin get back to work. They've been through a lot, but are better people for it. Daddy daycare is a huge success and they owe it to the kids to make things better. They keep growing and bringing more staff and eventually open more daddy daycare centers around the city. Charlie's relationship with his wife Kim and son Ben keeps getting better and better. Charlie, Phil and Marvin are interviewed by first local and then international news channels as their business is so incredibly successful. Therefore, it isn't long until a major corporation approaches Charlie and Phil to buy Daddy Daycare off them. Their offer has a large amount of zeros on it. And that's my day after.
0: I like it. Thank you. I like it. Yeah? Yeah. I can see them possibly cashing out. But will they? Mm. We'll have to find out. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) But what's going on then with your day after? Okay, well, let me preface by saying that of all the movies we've done in the history of this show, which is quite a few now, almost 200 movies. Yes, yeah. This might have been the hardest time I've ever had coming up with an idea. Ooh, okay. I must have stared at my computer for like three days with a blank screen bef- and, and trying to come up with something and I, I really just, I, I blanked for some reason. You need to use that keyboard thing that's in front of you. I <laughs> know, <Yeah. laughs> I stared at it and I kept yeah. thinking words and nothing happened. Oh my I God! Type. Um <laughs> uh, so I came up with something that's a little different from the norm. If it's if it's done in an interpretive dance, we're not really gonna get the most out of it. But I'm I'm willing to go Dang with it. it.
1: Hold on, let me guess guess is it gonna be Tibetan throat singing?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, you keep you keep taking all my ideas and spoiling them. <laughs> okay, you must have a third
1: uh, idea. What is it? I'll go with that yeah,
0: one. Yeah. Well uh, it'll be pretty obvious, pretty clear, but I hope you and the listeners will will go along for the ride and, and enjoy it. It's uh it's It's not all that deep, but I think it's pretty fun.
1: Okay, listeners, brace yourself.
0: Okay, the day after. Here we go. Daddy Daycare 2, Revenge of the Kids. In this installment of the beloved franchise, the kids stage an uprising, tying Charlie, Phil, and Marvin up with Twizzlers and building a Lego jail to keep them prisoner. Can the guys find their way to freedom and quell the children's revolution before someone chokes on a small toy? It's a hilarious comedy for the whole family. Daddy Daycare 3, Beverly Hills Nanny. When Charlie takes on a moonlighting job as a manny, he quickly realizes that the neighbors are international diamond smugglers. Can he catch them in the act while changing diapers and warming up bottles? It's an action-adventure thrill ride with teeth and teething. And that's my day after. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I wouldn't be able to write those kind of things. That's good. I like that. Well, I hope you enjoyed it because we got a few more to come. I had a feeling we might. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's definitely it's it's a theme that runs the whole way through today.
1: Oh, that's what's it's what's ironic though is you know, me, me and Mike don't know what uh, the other one's written, so there might be some similarity. No, who am I kidding? There's not going to be any similarity. <laughs> <laughs> I was
0: going to say, really? Okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> no, I like. It. All right. Well, meanwhile, then uh, let's hear what's going on in your immediate aftermath.
1: Okay, the offer was incredibly tempting, but Charlie and Phil turn it down. It's the job itself that is immensely satisfying, not the money. Instead, they keep growing, opening up more centres. And eventually turn it into a, a franchise. But Charlie and Phil insist on visiting every new center that opens. Their whole work ethic has such a positive effect on the children that they look after. Obviously there are ups and downs, but Daddy Daycare keeps doing a great job. That's my immediate aftermath.
0: I like it. Thanks. Very based in you know, the world of the movie, yeah, I think. Yeah, you know? yeah. Which is good.
1: Okay, then hit me with Daddy Daycare whatever number you're gonna go with next.
0: Okay. Daddy Daycare four. The elementary school strikes back. <laughs> Miss Harriton returns. The evil schoolmarm has started a new school to challenge the success of Daddy Daycare, and she's recruited Marvin's girlfriend Kelly to work there. <laughs> Can the guys defeat Miss Harriton a second time and bring Kelly back from the dark side? It's a startling new direction for everyone's favorite family franchise. <laughs> Daddy Daycare 5, Assignment Miami Beach. When Charlie and his family take a vacation, they're surprised to find out that Austin, a precocious 5-year-old, has stowed away with them. As Charlie tries to return him to his parents, his efforts are nearly derailed by a looming hurricane, a gang war, and a theme park trip gone awry. It's a wacky, beach fueled romp filled with action and laughs. And that's my immediate aftermath. How can
1: the same stuff happen to the same guy over and over? Oh my God. That could never happen. <laughs>
0: oh no, I, I do like it though. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. This
1: is they missed the Mr. Trick. They've, they've absolutely missed the trick. We could have had Dake, Daddy Daycare. Uh, you know, 17 by now.
0: That's right. That's right. They, they missed out. No, I like it. All right. Thank you. All right. Well, let's hear how yours all wraps up. Give us your long term.
1: Okay. Many years later, Charlie, now in his 90s, thinks back to the early days of daddy daycare. It made him a wealthy man, but the memories he has are the most precious things. He misses his wife, who died a few years ago, and Phil, who passed away about 15 years before. Charlie marvels at how quickly time passes as he looks at himself in the mirror. His great-grandson lets himself in and helps Charlie to the waiting car. When Charlie gets in, he's surprised to see Marvin. I thought I was meeting you there, asks Charlie. Marvin nods and explains that he was surprised too, but welcome the lift. They reminisce about the good old days as they head towards the restaurant booked for Charlie's birthday celebration. Then Charlie realises they're going the wrong way. Why are we going to the stadium? He asks. His great-grandson smiles and just says, you'll see. They arrive and Charlie and Mar- Marvin are whisked through corridors until they end up on a large stage surrounded by hundreds of people. They are greeted by a wall of sound as everyone rises to give them a standing ovation. Still not sure what's going on. They then tell everyone in the arena is a former student of Daddy Daycare, and they are all there to thank Charlie Marvin and all the other staff for giving them such a good start in life. Once he manages to stop crying, Charlie stands up and steps forward to speak. And that's my Daddy Daycare after the
0: ending. Aw, oh, Phil, you get me all choked up here. Oh, Bring a little tear to my eye. That's what's going for. I thought
1: something, you know, they had such a positive they just want us to do good. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah.
0: I think that's a very sweet ending, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you like it. Yeah. I like yeah. it. Yeah, very much. Yeah. I, I like it a lot.
1: I couldn't work in a serial killer because I haven't had one in for a while, so. <laughs> I thought it'd go nice,
0: this one. Uh, well, that was nice of you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, I liked it very much. Okay,
1: then. But what's going on with yours? Daddy Daycare, is it six? Seven? Yeah. Daddy yes, Daycare six. Six, six now.
0: All right. Well, Daddy Daycare six. All right, not going to lie, this is my favorite of the titles. Go on. Daddy Daycare 6, The Search for Spot. Search for Spot. (laughs) Couldn't help it. I like it. When the daycare's mascot dog, Spot, falls prey to a dog napper, played by Danny DeVito, (laughs) Charlie, (laughs) Phil, Marvin, and all the kids have to find the clues, track down the dog napper, and solve the mystery to get their beloved pet back. It's an all-star mystery adventure that will have your kids barking with laughter. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. So silly. All right, here we go. Daddy Daycare 7, The Final Frontier. <laughs> the tables have turned. When Charlie, Phil, and Martin become so old they have to find an assisted living facility, a group of their previous young charges, now all grown up, come to the rescue by building a senior citizen center and running it themselves. But what happens when their own young kids try to help out? It's a fun and heartfelt reunion that brings a new generation of family to the Daddy Daycare franchise. Oh, very good. And we sort of ended on a similar kind of thing. Yeah, well, yeah. I was just going to say, see, so there's actually a little bit of similarity. Yeah, yeah. We both had it coming back to the kids to help them out, you know, to celebrate them.
1: Oh, very good. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. If any listeners out there who are graphic designers and like doing like mashup art wants to put together some posters for all those Daddy Daycare
0: films. That would be amazing. Oh, my God. I would I would kill for Daddy Daycare 6, the search for spot poster. I got, I'm, not, yeah. <laughs> I'm not lying. If you, do one, if you do do one, you can email us at ending at verizon.net. And we will definitely be sure to uh, share it all over the social media yes. and, and on the show. Yes. Not that we can share the artwork on the show, but we'll talk about it. Yeah, we week. could share.
1: Look, I'm going to share some now. Here we go. Here's some artwork <laughs> right. for, from something else. Uh,
0: oh, it's beautiful. It is, isn't it? Listen to our paper. Oh, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no i did like i did like what you did with it i wasn't sure where it was going to go but i thought it worked rather well
0: thanks i had fun with it you know it wasn't my my deepest or most emotionally satisfying uh ending ever but i i had a good time putting it together i'm not gonna but lie.
1: It, it fits in with those kind of films and i was just thinking when we we're doing it the amount of films especially in the 80s and 90s where it was about one company one underdog company or dodgeball did it as well one underdog company you know competing with like this posh one right and just thinking oh my god you know Businesses just wouldn't do it like that. They would compete, but (laughs) not that particular way where it's like a vendetta and things, but uh, they're they're always good fun, always good fun.
0: Right, right. All right, well, that's uh, Daddy Daycare. Phil, do you have any Daddy Day trivia for us? Uh, Not really much because
1: I don't think many people talk about the film, but uh, there's a nod to uh, the the dance scene from Risky Business. Right. I think it's Phil dances. There's a few scenes from uh, the Three Stooges involved. Makes sense. And there was no actual excrements in the the bathroom scene when Eddie Murphy <laughs> looks in and looks around.
0: That is that is a very funny scene.
1: Yeah, I do like that one. And Eddie Murphy on that is just uh, does a. His face job. is yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. But
0: that's Daddy Daycare. Okay, terrific. Well, let's move on then to Fight Club. We don't talk about that, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these will be our shortest endings, right? Because we're not allowed to talk yeah, about it. Fight Club. Yeah.
1: The day after. Yep, yeah, not telling you. <laughs> yeah, so 1999, it's almost 20 years old, Fight Club. David Fincher directed it, based on the Chuck Palahniuk novel uh, and starring Brad Pitt, Edward Norton, uh, Helena Bonham Carter, Jared Leto, Meat Loaf, and lots of other people. Uh, but we follow an unnamed narrator, uh, played by Ed- Edward Norton. He suffers from insomnia. Uh, and while he's travelling for his work, he meets a soap salesman called Tyler Durden, played by Brad Pitt, and they end up living together in a ruined house when the, uh, when the narrator's apartment is blown up. Uh, they end up forming an underground fight club with strict rules, including you don't talk about it, and it soon brings in other men. Then Marla, played by uh, Helena Bonham Carter, a woman that Jack met at a support group he crashed, becomes involved with Tyler, and there's like tension between Tyler and the narrator. Uh, Things begin to fall apart, the Fight Club becomes something called Project Mayhem, uh, which is an anti-materialist and anti-corporate organisation who decide they're going to blow up some buildings to wipe out people's credit records. Uh, Jack realises that Tyler has started uh, clubs around the US and then eventually realises, spoiler alert for people who have not seen Fight Club, spoiler alert, back away now. He eventually realises that Tyler is actually another aspect of his personality and has been keeping Jack asleep while he organised Project Mayhem. They fight, and Jack shoots himself through the cheek. Uh, Tyler collapses with an exit wound to the back of his head, and Jack and Marla then stand and watch as the bombs planted by Project Mayhem go off, causing credit card company buildings to collapse and wiping out the records and erasing debt for millions of people. And that's Fight Club. All right, nicely done. I, I really like this film, and as many other
0: bits and pieces I could have touched on, but that's the general gist. Uh, what do you think of the film, Mike? You know, I'm not a terribly big fan of Fight Club, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I, I don't dislike it. It's definitely one of those films. It's okay. You know, I don't hate it. It's not like, oh, that's a terrible movie. I mean, David Fincher obviously is a great director, and I think yeah, Brad yeah. Pitt and Ed Norton are terrific in the film. But if I'm being honest, it's just not a film I like that much. I saw it in theaters, didn't love it, hadn't seen it for a long time. A couple of years ago, they put it out on Blu-ray. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna revisit it. You know, I think it's time. Maybe I'll have a new yeah, appreciation yeah. for it. And I and I didn't really. I just I still felt the same way about it. I'm like, eh, it's all right. It's got some neat moments. You know, it's a it's a very kind of dirty, grimy film. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's it's fine. It's fine. I, I don't love it. I don't hate it. So that's fair that's, enough. But that's it's, my uh, take on Fight Club.
1: I, I remember going to see it at the cinema. And because, you know, the int- it was 99. So the, the internet wasn't anywhere near like it is now. So I knew nothing about the film. Right. Going into it. So when the, the twist happened as well, I was with my friend Derek and the two of us just both just went. <gasps> <gasps> right, you could, right. Well, actually, the whole cinema, did just went <gasps> like that. And right. it was, it's good when you're involved. And, you know, the, everybody's just everybody's just involved and nobody saw it coming, which was great. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And that's one of the good moments. I mean, it, like I said, does have some great moments, but just not a film that I'm really into.
1: Yeah, no, fair enough. I know a few, a few people don't like it. And it is, I can understand why as well, but yeah, there was a comic book sequel that's uh,
0: written by Chuck.
1: Mm-hmm. And that came out was the last couple of years ago, but I've not read that, so I don't know what happened in it.
0: Yeah, I haven't read it either. So so anybody who has read it, if there's any similarities, don't think we're ripping off the comic because neither, <laughs> neither of us has read no, it. No, I've not read it. But uh, do you want to kick things
1: off with your day after?
0: Sure thing. Well, I will say for the sake of saving some exposition, I decided just to call the narrator's character Edward for ease of yeah, use. Yeah. And sense. I figured it seemed like a perfectly good name. So okay. we're going to call him Edward.
1: So in your, after the endings, you're calling the narrator Edward? Edward, and mine, I will be calling him Jack. Perfect. And both make sense, because in the film, he refers to himself as Jack, and Edward, Edward
0: Norton, so yeah. That's what I kind of just said. Oh, that's easy. There we go. Keep it straight in people's heads. So yeah, so now we know. Okay, so here's the day after. Edward and Marla stand and stare in awe as the dust settles from the collapsing buildings. Edward suddenly realizes he's in an incredible amount of pain from the gunshot to his mouth and head. Marla insists he goes to the hospital, where he tells the doctors that he was mugged. While he's in the emergency room, several doctors pass him and nod at him knowingly. Edward realizes that Project Mayhem's reach is much bigger than he thought, and he starts planning a way to remove himself from that world. With Tyler Durden dead, Edward needs to recuperate, regroup, and rebuild his life. After he's bandaged up and filled with painkillers, he turns to Marla and says, How do you feel about Belize? the country? Marla asks. Edward nods. I like the beach, she says. Edward thinks for a minute and says, we need to get packed. And that's the day after. Oh, very good. Okay. I like that. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, I'm anxious to see where you're going with this because I know sometimes you can go super dark with things and sometimes not. So let's see what you got. Give me your day after, Phil.
1: Okay. Well, uh, Jack and Marla are whisked away in the confusion by the loyal members of Project Mayhem. Neither are ever linked to the explosions. And Jack silently thanks Tyler for being so thorough, even though he put him through hell. A doctor brought into Project Mayhem stitches Jack's bullet wound, keeping him out of hospitals and keeping him off rec- records. Uh, once he recovers from the wound, he heads off with Marla and explains everything to her. He realizes how dreadfully he treated Marla when he didn't realize that Tyler was him. They rent a small apartment and try to get back to some normality. Jack starts seeing a psychiatrist and Tyler seems to have gone. Jack is sleeping better, but he just wishes that he had some of Tyler's confidence. That's my day after.
0: All right. curious to see where that's going to lead us. Mm. But go on. Mm. Uh, What's going on with yours? Did they make it to to Belize? They do. Mm. Three months later, Edward and Maria are laying on the beach in Belize. While they didn't have a lot of money to bring with them, American dollars go far in the South American country, and they're able to set themselves up in style. Edward buys a bar frequented by American expatriates, and Marla takes a job as his bartender. It's a simple life, but they get free booze, have sex on the beach, and they're happy together. Things are running smoothly, and Edward is glad to see that there seems to be no trace of Project Mayhem anywhere in Belize. But things are not all surf and sand and Mai Tais. Recently, Edward has started seeing a man on the streets of the town, a man who looks exactly like Tyler Durden. And if you know me at all, you know that's that's where I'm going to leave things. (laughs) That's so Tyler.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right that's gonna exactly. be it should have turned classic fight club. Tyler it should have been uh, like a sitcom after fight club called that's so Tyler right right <laughs> a guy dealing with you know his uh, psychotic other personality
0: right right yeah uh, that would be I'd watch that I I would be yeah I could see that working <laughs> all right well how about your immediate aftermath
1: <laughs> okay uh, Jack and Marla feel happy the past couple of years have gone by in a blur uh, the huge monetary crisis caused by project mayhem shows signs of turning around as a small company uh, called eCore introduces new checks and balances. Jack doesn't care. His relationship with Marla keeps growing. Without Tyler in the way, they get on extremely well. Marla is now running support groups and helping people. Jack has a new job, but it involves lots of traveling around the country. It pays well, but it doesn't mean that he's alone for a long period of time. One Sunday, Jack is at home with Marla. They spent the morning in bed, and eventually they got up and made lunch while watching TV. As they ate the news came on, And it spoke about the current nominees for the forthcoming presidential election. Jack and Marla paid little attention to it until they hear, Tyler Durden. There, in a pre-recorded interview, sits Jack slash Tyler. What the f***? Says Marla. Jack turns to her, but she's not there. She never was. Mm. Tyler steps into the room. Oh boy, he says. It's good to be back. Tyler puts on a pair of sunglasses, whispers, Sleep. And Jack falls into blackness. That's
0: my immediate aftermath. Wow. All right I like it uh, thank you Well this is the time in the show where I say there may be some similarities between our endings but that's not because we've shared our endings at the yeah. time Phil and I work these up independently so yes. any similarities are a coincidence. yes you know you extrapolate stories and you know there are going to be some similarities exactly but I li- I like what you did and I-, I think mine's a little different but there's definitely a couple little little things.
1: okay then we'll uh, hit me with it what's uh,
0: what's your long term? okay Edward wakes up in a cold sweat. he feels the bed next to him but Marla is nowhere to be found. In fact, the bed feels much smaller than usual. Then he realizes there's a shadowy figure standing over him. Wake up, the man yells. Edward tries to clear his head, and as his eyes focus, he realizes that it's Tyler Durden. Wake up, Tyler yells again. I'm awake, Edward yells back. Jesus Christ, I'm awake. Can't you see that? No, Tyler says. I want you to wake the f*** up. And with that, he punches Edward in the face as hard as he can. Edward sees stars, and then the world comes into focus with a roar in his ears that threatens to deafen him. Instantly, the beach house fades out of view, only to be replaced by a much more dismal view, the inside of a prison cell. It's about f***ing time, Tyler says. I've been stuck in here for months while you've been waiting for your trial for the bombings. No, Edward whispers as he looks around. Don't worry, Tyler says. I've got my best men from Project Mayhem on their way here. Tomorrow, they're springing us. Edward tries to protest, but his voice is gone. As blackness starts to creep in from the edges of his vision, Edward realizes the truth. His transformation into Tyler Durden is about to become complete. Ooh. And that's the end. Oh, that's good. I like that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. But obviously some similarities in the, you know. Yeah, yeah. In terms of what's happening in his mind and what's happening in the real world. Yeah. No, I like it. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, let's see which direction you're taking yours in, Phil. Give us your long term. Okay.
1: Jack Woke. He was sat in the Oval Office. Tyler did this on occasion, let Jack see what was going on. They'd also talk now and again, but most of the time, Jack slept. Tyler was there. He explained how Marla had left shortly after the results of Project Mayhem. However, the memory of her served as a good distraction, while Tyler had travelled and used his connections to people from Project Mayhem to manipulate things until he was now President of the United States of America. That's just stupid, said Jack. There's no way the public would vote in a crazy person as President. (laughs) Tyler scratched the record he was about to play. Everyone's a little crazy, he explained. You just tell people what they want to hear and they fill in the blanks. It doesn't need to make sense. As long as you say it confidently and have a whole heap of money, then everything's golden. "But But I thought you wanted to bring everything down, asked Jack. I did, but your shot to the head woke me up. I'm going to build things up and make the world a better place. Jack was about to speak when there was a knock on the door. Tyler told him to sleep, and before everything went blank, Jack screamed. And that's my long time.
0: Very nice. I, I, I like it, Phil. I have to say, though, I'm I'm a little disappointed that you had this great opportunity to, to make some sort of wry sociopolitical commentary. And instead, you you yeah, didn't. You, I don't you, do you that. Make, I, don't, I don't believe you, in doing that. You yeah. just kept it completely, you know, yeah. level and, and didn't go anywhere near anything resembling commentary on real world events. I don't understand what you're getting at, Mike, but uh, <laughs> I don't see how that could be related to anything. But that's why I didn't.
1: Yeah, I just thought I just I just went to this total silly way.
0: Yeah, that yeah. was probably a smart decision. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice, though.
1: Thank you. I'm glad you liked it.
0: Now, I have to say, I have a post-credit scene. Oh, my God. <laughs> go on. Hit me with it. What happens? All right. Here we go. So, credits roll. Fades up from black. Here you go, boss, the beefy man says as he drops a large brown envelope on the desk in front of Tyler. New passport, credit cards, driver's license, everything. You're officially a new man. Tyler opens up the envelope and looks over the various documents. Jeffrey Goines, the name on his new ID, reads, Eh. Tyler thinks. I've had worse names in the past. He stands up and rallies his men from Project Mayhem. All right, boys, time to shake things up. Let's introduce the world to the army of the 12 monkeys. Oh, brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I like that. Thanks. I figured, like, you know, crazy yeah. Brad Pitt, it's a it's a natural tie-in. Yeah, yeah. So I like the idea of him sort of hopping from identity to identity. So every Brad Pitt film has been Tyler Durden. It's possible. Oh, my I, I, God. I may be laying that groundwork. Yes. If I had more time, I could do a whole bunch more of these post-credit scenes. I thought that was a good way to launch things. Tyler Durden
1: is an immortal entity which travels through. Oh, my God. Right. See? Right. They're all linked. Yeah. Every oh, Brad Pitt movie. God. Wish we could have making YouTube videos. We could do something like that. You know, we, know, we, we know. could be all snappy in front of it going, hey, but what about this? Blah, blah, blah. Right, right, right. Exactly. Oh, good. Oh, I like that, though. Yeah. Thank you, thank you.
0: Thanks, Phil. Are is it time to join the trivia club?
1: No, because we don't talk about trivia.
0: <laughs> Fair enough.
1: Oh well, go on. Then. I'll give you. I'll give you a little bit. Yeah, So some trivia from Fight Club. Author Chuck Palahniuk said he found the film to be an improvement on his novel. He also said that while he was writing it, he didn't know that Tyler and the narrator were the same person until he was about two thirds of the way through it. Huh. That's interesting. Is, yes Yes. <laughs> I wonder what would have, where he was going before that occurred to him. Right, right. Brad Pitt and Edward Norton were really drunk when hitting golf balls in that scene in the film, and they were knocking him against the catering van. Oh, jeez. Uh, the Friday the film was released, Rosie O'Donnell was on a TV show and said she'd seen the film earlier in the week and had been unable to sleep since. Uh, she then pleaded with her viewers not to see the film and gave away the plot twist. Oh, jeez. Needless to say, uh, Fincher, Pitt and Norton, um, people, everybody involved were going weren't very happy with that. Yeah, uh, but apparently there was a cup of coffee in every scene of the film. Huh. Um, Brad Pitt and Helena Bonham Carter spent three days recording orgasm sounds for their unseen sex scene. You just see it briefly when they use bullet time, kind of. But they spent three days recording sex and sex sounds. Interesting. That's uh, that's Fight Club.
0: All right, there you go. Okay, so those are our endings for Fight Club and Daddy Daycare. Now it's time to move on to our 100 years of Hollywood in 100 episodes, wherein we take the last century of Hollywood, pick a year, and share our top 10 favorite films from that year. And this week we're talking about 1968. So, Phil... Climb into that time machine of yours and tell us, what was the world like back in
1: 1968? Oh, well, for this time, I'd rather not, because 1968 was a great year for films, but, God, it was depressing. <laughs> right. Uh, there was the Vietnam War going on, so people died. There were student riots going on, people died. Uh, American civil rights movement, protests and things, and people died. Oof. A number of submarines sank from different countries, and people died. Planes crashed, and things like that. But So, yeah, people died. It was pretty lousy, but... Amongst all that, uh, the Beatles announced the creation of Apple Records in the New York press conference and also released the White Album. Cool. Uh, Mattel's Hot Wheels toy cars were introduced. Dad's Army was broadcast for the first time in the UK, while in America, Hawaii 5 and 60 Minutes debuted on CBS. Uh, A guy called Saddam Hussein became the vice chairman of Revolutionary Council in Iraq after a coup d'etat. Boeing debuted the 747. Led Led Zeppelin made their first live performance, and that was at Surrey University in England. Uh, Apollo eight entered orbit around the moon. Douglas Engelbart publicly demonstrated his pioneering hypertech system, together with uh, something called the computer mouse. And since then, it's been cut. Co- this this event was called the mother of all demos. Wow. Japan's biggest heist, the never solved three hundred million yen robbery, uh, took place in Tokyo. And on TV, an episode of Star Trek series three, episode twelve, called Plato's Stepchildren, featured the first ever interracial kiss on U.S. television between Captain Kirk and horror. And that's that's
0: 1968. A television landmark. certainly was. Absolutely.
1: We also had the births of uh, Cuba Gooding Jr., John Singleton, LL Cool J., Paulie Shaw, Josh Brolin, uh, Molly Ringwald, Daniel Craig, Kelly Hugh, Aaron Eckhart, Patricia Arquette, Anthony Michael Hall, Stuart Lee, Ashley Judd, Tony Hawk, Robert Rodriguez, Gillian Anderson, Billy Crudup, Eric Banner, Guy Ritchie, Will Smith, Naomi Watts, Brendan Fraser, Lucy Liu, Hugh Jackman, Sam Rockwell, Tracy Morgan, Owen Wilson, and John DiMaggio. And we we lost. We saw the deaths of Yuri Gagarin, Martin Luther King Jr., Helen Keller, Tallulah Bankhead, and John Steinbeck.
0: All right, there you go. So that's 1968 in a nutshell. Yes. So let's get to our list. Like you said, it was a pretty good year for films, I thought.
1: Yeah, there was uh, loads of loads of classic films, uh, lots of films that most listeners have probably seen or at least heard except, of. Except for me. <laughs> yeah, well, no, but there's, like, there's, even, even you, there'd be like... Uh, i mean even you but this, you know what i mean though there's some films on my list which uh some kid films in particular which people have probably grown up with right or still right. know about but uh lots of films as well made have had a huge impact
0: on cinema since then as well yes yes i they mean
1: influenced filmmakers and sets up certain genres and things like that
0: right i i definitely have seen a lot of films from 1968 but there was a there was a, as i was going through the list i will say there was a three or four really big kind of seminal important films and i was like Whoops, haven't seen that one yet. I have a feeling at least one or two of them will come up on your list. So I'll have to, it'll be a little mea culpa session as I go,
1: yeah, I haven't gotten
0: around to it yet. But, <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's like
1: we always say that you can't see every film. And if you right. haven't seen a big movie that everybody else has
0: seen, it doesn't matter. I'll get, you, yeah. I'll get around to them. I'll get around to them. So, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. Never feel bad for having not seen a film. That's right. Yeah. Okay, do you want to kick things off, Mike? Sure. All right. Well, my number ten is one of those films that's kind of a nostalgia throwback. It is Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, uh, Dick Van Dyke, and a flying car. You know, it's not it's not cinematic genius. It's really just a flashback to when I was a kid that I enjoyed watching it, and so that's my number ten.
1: No, it's a good pick. Uh, that's uh, my number ten is uh, a film called The Swimmer, which stars uh, Burt Lancaster, and it's directed by uh, Frank. Perry and Sydney Pollack directed some scenes, apparently uncredited scenes. But we follow uh, we follow Bert Lancaster in a affluent suburb, and he's in a bathing suit and he just goes he he calls into a pool party and says, "Can I swim? Swim through your pool." He decides to swim home using his neighbor's uh, swimming pools, and it's basically different scenes of him going to that, talking to people, and then as it's going on, you realise why this man's doing this, walking around in his bathing suit from garden to garden, and you real you you start through the conversations, you realise things aren't going well for him and it gets as the film goes on it starts off all sunny it gets darker and darker but it's a uh, it's a great performance by uh, Bert Lancaster some people could probably watch it and go oh what the hell is this but it's uh, it's it, it's a bit tough it's tough going but I just I find it satisfying even though you're never quite sure what exactly it was but it's just it's a staggering performance by Burt Lancaster, and it's it's worth watching at least once if you've never seen it.
0: Good to know. I have not seen it. I'm not even actually particularly familiar with it, so I'll add that to my mental list. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's my number 10. All right. Well, my number nine is Yellow Submarine. It is, the, of course, the Beatles animated film that does not star the Beatles, but it does feature some of their music. And this is a, kind of another sort of flashback pick in a way, a nostalgia pick. It's not... Of all the Beatles cinematic output, it's it's probably towards the bottom of my favorite because, you know, they're not really in it. And it, it is kind of weird and trippy. It doesn't have a whole lot of a story. But by the same token, it has this indelible imagery that has become a part of the Beatles mythos. And as we know, I'm a humongous Beatles fan. So I I, I like the, the whole feel of the world of this movie and the style of the animation it's not a movie i, I want to watch all the time yeah yeah because it doesn't make a lot of sense um but it's fun it's a fun kind of take on the beatles that, that I, I enjoy from time to time so that's my number nine
1: hey, it's a good pick it didn't make my list because like you it's uh it's not my fate it's not one of my favorites it's sort of i love the, i love the designs of things but the actual film itself uh just always i end up sitting there watching it and just going oh no it's weird. Yeah, yeah it's just yeah. one of those, I don't enjoy watching it.
0: Right, I'm, I, get, there's moments that. I, totally I like, get that. There's
1: moments I like, but as a whole, as a film, I don't I don't particularly enjoy watching it. But I know loads of people love it. Fair enough. But uh, it's not me. But I do like the design of the submarine and things like that. Right. Okay, my, uh, my number nine is a double whammy. It involves the film, uh, your number 10. It's Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and The Love Bug, both involving sentient cars. Right, very good. Who would have thought 1968 to be the year for sentient cars? <laughs> right. Uh, what 60, uh, the, sorry, the, uh, the Love Bug... Is the one featuring Herbie, yep. which uh, I was I always loved Herbie. I just loved the you know it's, it's the Beetle car anyway. Just looks cool and it's great cast. Dean Jones always liked things like that. It's funny, uh, it's a cool car, racing scenes, and Herbie was just as a kid you just love Herbie. Right, uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, like you. Uh, I don't like this quite as much as the Love Bug, but I put them together because similar similarities. Sure, uh, and it's it's got some good songs. I, I like the design of of the car as well. It's a bit nightmarish in places, but that's good in some kids' films with the child capture. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, it's it's a it's again it's a pleasant way of spending a Sunday afternoon. Right, watching Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which is hard to say correctly if you've had a beer or two on that Sunday <laughs>
0: afternoon. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, my number eight is the Thomas Crown Affair, starring Steve McQueen and Faye Dunaway. Uh, directed by Norman Jewison. It's a fun film about a rich guy who steals things anyway and the sort of like insurance investigator lady who tries to bring him down but then gets involved with him. It's a very kind of hip 60s, you know, swinging 60s kind of heist type of film. If I'm being honest, I do kind of prefer the Pierce Brosnan version. I know that's probably sacrilege. I, I like The Thomas Crown Affair, the original. Steve McQueen is awesome. It's got some slow parts. You know, it's a great looking film. It's really well edited but it could be 20 minutes shorter, and I wouldn't complain. But I do like it, and I think McQueen is awesome. So that's my number eight. Hey, it's a
1: good pick. I couldn't remember whether that's in the original, so it didn't make my list. But I like the I like the, uh, like the Pierce Brosnan one. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I know what you mean. There's lots of films around about the 60s and 70s where – they do when you watch them now. They do sit, feel a bit slow.
0: Right, this is one of them. For and you,
1: you're not sure whether it's it's like deliberate or whether it's just pacing or just the style of the time.
0: Right, exactly. But yeah,
1: because I, I couldn't. Have, I think I've seen it, but I'm not sure. whether I've just seen bits and pieces of the original. But yeah, I know. Be, I'm glad I made your list anyway. Yep. Uh, my number eight is uh, The Odd Couple, starring Jack Lemmon, Walter Matthau, and it was you know turning into the TV show as well, starring Tony Randall and Jack Klugman. But it's Felix and Oscar, two guys of different personalities who live together, and their personalities clash. But it's Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau, very funny, uh, great moments. Both both seem to be so suited to the two roles. It was incredible. Uh, just lots of fun. Always good. It's always a good laugh to watch. Yeah, and always good. Always, I do like those
0: films with those two together. For sure. But uh, that's uh, that's my number eight. Very good. My number seven is The Green Berets, starring John Wayne. And uh, this is one of my first exposures to John Wayne. Actually, when I was young, I, I I didn't see as much of his Western film output when I was young. Well, I mean, I did see some of it, but uh, The Green Berets was kind of one of the first films I watched with him. And it's it's a it's a big epic Vietnam War story. It's an older John Wayne has a great supporting cast. Um, George Takei even actually has a small part in it. Uh, Sulu from Star Trek, of course, and um, but it's it's a cool film. You know, like I said, it's kind of a big epic, a little long. It's you know, it's just a good solid war film. So that's my number seven.
1: Oh, excellent choice. Again, like the Green Berets. I'm sure I must have seen it when I was a kid, right? But yeah, I don't. I don't recall seeing the, the film. But I, although I, part of me thinks I must have seen it, right? Uh, okay, but my number seven is a film uh, which I only saw like the past couple of years because a friend of mine, Peter, was going. So he's talked about it, but it's The Great Silence. It's Spaghetti Western, but it's it's set during the winter or in the mountains. It's all snowy, but it follows this guy called Silence because when he was a kid, he had his his uh, throat cut when these killers came in to kill his family, and he. He uh, goes round, uh, he now operates where he decides that uh, when he's going to kill someone, he tries to provoke them, so they draw their weapons first, so he kills them in self-defence. But it's uh, it's gone on to inspire lots of filmmakers, and, and Quentin Tantino with The Hateful Eight, things like that. But it stars uh, Klaus Kinski is a very memorable and another crazy role, like the only way Klaus Kinski can. Uh, and it's, uh, it's directed by Sergio Cabucci, and it's got a music by Ennio Morricone. Got some great scenes... Lots of great moments where nothing's sad as like so many of these spaghetti westerns do, but it's uh, it's 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 good as well seeing it in the snow. It's a bit different. Used to all these these Western films being in, you know, the dry heat of a desert. But this one's in the snow. It's a it's a great great film. And it's worth checking out.
0: Very good. All right. Well, my number six has appeared on your list just a few choices ago. It is The Odd Couple. Yeah. Uh, and for all the reasons you said, I mean, you know, it's it's such perfect casting. Jack Lemon is the nice guy and Walter Matthau is the grumpy guy. And yeah. they just work so well together. They're one of those great pairings like Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis or Kirk Douglas and Burt Lancaster. And uh, it's a funny film. It's a great classic comedy. So that's my number six.
1: A good choice. Uh, my number six is Hell in the Pacific, which stars Lee Marvin and Toshiro Mifune. Uh, it's set during World War II when a, a Japanese officer and an American officer end up crashing onto a, an uninhabited Pacific island and they start off fighting and then realise they need to work together to, you know, to survive. If that sounds familiar to some of you, if you've seen Enemy Mine, that's basically used the same story as this. And I think a few other films have done the same thing as well. But this one is great. Lee Marvin and Tashira Mifune, the only actors in it. It's directed by John Bowman. But Marvin and Mifune, both, you know, iconic actors in their own rights.
0: Um, put them together. It's uh, it's it's amazing. Very good. Not Another one I have not seen, although I am familiar with this one. Yeah. it's But uh, well, both of them are great to watch. Sure. All right. My number five is a campy science fiction classic, but I love it. It is Barbarella starring Jane Fonda. And this is—I—I I really like Barbarella. I have to say. I mean, first of all, it's a very sexy film. Jane Fonda looks amazing, and she is not afraid to play up her sexuality at all. But it's also just a really fun movie. I mean, it's—it's it's kind of a similar, if you like, like Flash Gordon. Yeah. You know, from the 80s. This is a very similar kind of feel. It's got some some. Some kind of cool special effects to it. It's got some great set designs, some neat colors. You know, it's just a great looking film, especially considering when it came out. But it's it's one of those films that you don't expect much from because it is sort of this camp classic. But then you put it on, you sort of get wrapped up in watching it because it's, it's more fun than you expect it to be. Uh, so I really like it. It's a lot of fun. It's very sexy uh, and very enjoyable. And it's Barbarella. It's my number five.
1: It was on my short list, but it kept getting pushed down. Uh,
0: too bad. Yeah.
1: It, it also it also gave the uh, the band Duran their name, didn't it?
0: That's right. Yes, yeah. it did. But yeah,
1: so it didn't make my list, but I'm glad it made yours. Yep. Uh, my number five is uh, the Roman Polanski film Rosemary's Baby. Very good. Where Mia Farrow and her husband move into an apartment block and the neighbors are weird. And guess what? She ends up, you know, having sex with the devil and giving birth to the Antichrist.
0: Yeah, it happens. I yeah. mean, come on. Who hasn't that happened to? I don't know. It's that age-old story. Right. It's, I it's... had a nickel for every yeah. time.
1: Uh, New York City is full of people who move into strange apartment buildings <laughs> and it happens to them. <laughs> exactly. There's, and it's like this whole this whole diner is dedicated to, like, Antichrists. They all meet up. They go, shall we end the world? No, let's right, have you know, right. let's have another sandwich. Right. But that's my number five. I do like it just the way it's, it is so so strange so and it gets more claustrophobic and there's great performances right yeah but we talked about it more uh back in episode 66 oh there'd been another six hey <laughs> but right. uh, yeah that's uh that's it's my number five. Oh, i should have had it as number six shouldn't i on this list and that's oh, right anyway missed opportunity but yeah rosemary's baby is my number five.
0: Very good. Well, my number four has appeared on your list, but I don't think it'll be a big surprise that it's higher on mine than yours. It is The Love Bug. Yeah. And uh, I know I've included the various Herbie sequels on my lists before uh, because I'm a huge fan of this franchise. I will say, not only did I grow up watching these movies, but uh, when I took my family to Disney last year, we stayed in one of the hotels. They had a Herbie wing, like a love bug wing oh, they yeah, had like yeah. a giant replica of the car and stuff. And of course, I made my wife take a million pictures of me and the kids in front of the car. <laughs> and um, so then I was inspired to to watch the movie again with the kids, and I hadn't seen it in many, many years. Uh, But I have to say that the kids really enjoyed it, and I think it holds up very well. I mean, there's some parts that are a little silly, but it's still a a very enjoyable film, even some, you know, 50, 60 years later. So uh, The Love Bug is my number four, and I still really enjoy it.
1: Yeah, no, it does does hold up, but I knew knew it'd be higher on your list than mine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Okay, my number four is uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, another spaghetti western, but a, a huge epic western Directed by Sergio Leone and starring uh, Henry Fonda as the bad guy, Charles Bronson, Claudia Cardinale, Jason Robards, lots of others. It's uh, the story. One of the people who wrote the story along with Sergio Leone was Dario Argento, and an Ennio Morricone soundtrack again. Uh, just, just brilliant. So, so many brilliant scenes and moments, long moments where nothing's said and nothing happens and nothing's done, but you're still engrossed in it. And it's been referenced in so many other films, not necessarily westerns, but it's, it's. It's influenced so many things and seeing Henry Fonda as a bad guy and what a bad guy as well. It's just incredible. Uh great fight scenes. Just it's an epic and it's a it's a huge film. But uh, it probably would have been higher on other years from my list but uh it's number 4 in 1968 for me.
0: Very good. Not on my list cuz another one of those ones where I couldn't remember if I'd actually seen it in full or just bits and pieces. Yeah, of
1: it. it's it's one of those things cuz it's like almost 3 hours long so it's right, right. There's been many times when I've just seen bits and pieces of it but when I sat down and watched the whole thing you're suddenly going ah yes it just yep. ooh, just flows but yeah. but it's it's got one of the best openings of
0: uh, of any film up there at the train station. It's great. Right, right, yeah. very good. All right, well, my number three has also already appeared on your list. It is Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. Again, I think you said what needs to be said about it. It is a great thriller. Uh, Roman Polanski did a great job directing it. You know, Mia Farrow's terrific. It's got a great supporting cast. It's a creepy film. Um and again, it holds up really well. It, it moves well. You know, we were just talking about pacing of these older movies, you know, yeah. is it is it cuz they're older movies and we're more attuned to faster-paced movies? But then when you watch something like Rosemary's Baby, because I just watched it a few years ago, you know, I was glued to the screen the whole time. Yeah. You know, so I, I think a lot of it does come down to the film itself, but it's it's a great flick and and I really enjoyed it. Oh, excellent choice. Side note, I was just watching, I watched this movie called Downhill Racer with Robert Redford. Oh, yeah. From 1969, I think. Oh, yeah. And um, apparently he was up for two movies at the same time. And the other one was Roman Polanski really wanted him to play the husband oh, wow. in Rosemary's Baby. And he was going back and forth between them, but he decided to do Downhill Racer because he was more passionate about it. And it's like, obviously his career worked out just fine like yeah yeah it's not like you can say well look how that worked out for him but he wouldn't have you... been
1: good in rosemary's baby because you wouldn't have expected him to be the bad guy
0: exactly and when you think of like films in your career though it's like downhill racer i'd never even heard of it until i got the blu-ray of it but you know but De- rosemary's baby is like one of the yeah. classics you know what i mean like it's like oh yeah. really dude
1: okay no that was a good uh, yeah i knew it's, i knew it'd be on your list i wasn't sure whereabouts that would be but there we go not too far from um, where you had it and my number three I, I i'm damn sure this this will be on your your list with your filth,
0: <laughs> it'll be on my on my yeah, stinking, your stinking list.
1: list. But it's uh, the Planet of the Apes, the first one with Charlton Heston, Roddy McDowell. You know the story. Guy crashes on a planet. It's got apes on it. Yeah, there we go. But it's classic. This is a, it is good. Uh, performances are great. The special effect, the, the prosthetics are really good. I mean, the fact they could act in the them, I mean, it didn't give them the most expression, but still work really well. Uh, and then that twist. The twist. And then the first time I saw this as a kid, going, <gasps> <Yeah. laughs> I just suddenly going, oh my god. And it sort of makes you rethink everything that's gone before. But yeah, it's it's good. And there has been various remakes. The most recent ones I've really enjoyed as well. But this one is still, you know, a classic. And it's my number three.
0: Very good. All right. Well, my number two is another classic film. And I will be, I will be honest and say that I did not see this movie until very recently. Um, and it's just one of those ones that I always kind of got around. I'd seen the sequels never seen the original. Yeah. It is Night of the Living Dead. That's a bingo. That's my number 2 as well. Very nice. Um yeah, I mean I literally just watched it for the first time a few months ago. I again had seen bits and pieces of it. I you know, I'd seen the whole opening scene, I'd seen a couple of the house scenes, but I'd never watched the whole film start to finish until a few months ago. And I have to say I really loved it. Like it's not it's not just number 2 on my list because it's an important film and it sort of created the the zombie genre and it's you know it's 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 got all the social commentary so it's it's you know it's a well a critically well received film but I really loved it it is so tense and so tight and yeah. so economical And it's it's creepy. And, you know, it's got the social commentary, which, you know, and the people not getting along. And it it really laid the groundwork for so much to come. But at the at the end of the day, it's just a great thriller. It's a really fun film. Also interesting to see how many zombie rules aren't quite laid down yet when you watch this film. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's definitely some things where you're like, oh, they don't do that in the later films. Like that's a little more loosey goosey with the sort of zombie mythology, if you will. But uh, I, I love it. It's a great, great film.
1: Yeah, it's it is. It tells a good story and it tells it very well. And again, it, it is just a small story. I mean, the, the zombie. You, you get. I love the fact you're just picking up bits and pieces from like uh, you know the radio and people talking and things like that. You realise it's bigger than than what we're seeing. Right. But not not as big. It's not it doesn't. It's not a worldwide apocalypse. It's just you're not quite sure. You know how? If it's is it just in one state? Is it covering a few states and things like that? Yeah. Uh, but it's just and then you're just these few people who are total strangers in this terrible situation, trying to get on. Our personalities clash and it's as you say it's all social commentary but it's done it's just it's social commentary done in a great way where you can still watch it and if you're you know younger watching
0: it you' just going well, it's just these people trying to survive from the zombies right well that's the thing yeah it's it's done in such a way works
1: on it works on all the different levels and it's great and it's it had a, it had a budget of like a hundred and fifteen thousand dollars yeah and it's become a
0: legend right right exactly
1: you said like some of the films I've mentioned before have influenced filmmakers but I mean my God, Night of the Living Dead has influenced so many. Oh, yeah. You know, most people start now making movies, make a zombie film because of uh, George Romero. Right. But, uh, yeah. So it's, it's both our number
0: twos. Very good. Yeah. All right. Well, I know our number ones are different because my number one has already appeared on your list, and I'm pretty sure you can figure out which movie it is. Yes, yes, yes. It is Planet of the Apes. Yes. Uh, and, you know, it, it is, it's very similar to what you said. I mean, just watching that ending... Uh, the first time. I mean, this is a movie I saw as a kid and really I credit this movie as being one of the, I've always loved movies. There's never been a time in my life I remember not loving movies, but I credit this movie for really helping to develop my love of movies, you know, and really reaching beyond, you know, kids films, which is mostly what I had been watching yeah, at that yeah. time and, and, realizing that there was a much deeper and richer, collection of cinema out there to to dive into you know this is one of the earliest film experiences i can remember that really rocked my world and knocked my socks off and made me think like i i gotta see more stuff like this you know yeah yeah um and so i mean of all the apes films that have followed this one remains the best of all of them in my opinion and it's just utterly fantastic in every way so that's my number one
1: well, an excellent choice i knew it'd be i knew it'd definitely be in one or you know the top two but uh,
0: yeah yeah and it's it's
1: worth it's worth watching again because it's one of those films where you go, Oh well I've seen that, yeah. But it's you either saw it years ago or you've cut bits and pieces of it since. Exactly. Then sit down and watch the whole film again. You go, Oh yeah, because the you know, you have to see films, you know, the whole thing to get the full appreciation. But it's it's one of those ones where you assume you've seen it and, you know, recently and you just haven't and then you sit down right. and watch, and you go, "Oh my god, it's so good!" Yeah, you forget how good it yeah. is, exactly. Yeah, uh, but it's an excellent pick. But my number one is 2001: uh, A Space Odyssey. Dun, yeah. dun, That's it. just a little dun, film by Stanley Kubrick. Dun,
0: dun, boom, 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 boom,
1: boom. I'm afraid I can't do that, Dave. <laughs> uh, and it's written by Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke. Huge in scope, it you know starts off the dawn of man and takes us into the far future, and it deals with aliens. We've got a supercomputer. One of the great. One of the great fill-ins although he's just doing what he was programmed to do or conflicting programming cal 9000 uh brought us you know we had ipads before we had ipads and things like that it's just just an amazing film it's 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 hard to believe you watch it as well the uh, the effects and the designs and everything you know that it was made such a long time ago before we'd even landed on the moon oh it's it's so good it's so good and open to so many different interpretations depending upon how old you are when you watch it or how you're feeling when you watch it what substances you on when you watch it, because I know in the 70s, lots of people decided to watch the end scene in, as one big trip. Uh, don't do drugs, kids. Uh, and it's, uh, yeah, it's a huge, big film, and it's brilliant.
0: This is one of those mea culpa moments where I have to say I have actually never seen 2001. Uh, it's been a film I've wanted to watch for a long time, and, and actually when I realized we were doing 1968, I was like, maybe I should hurry up and watch this before we do the list, but they just announced um, that we're recording this in June. They just announced that in October, they're putting out a new special edition 4K Ultra HD uh, release, uh, anniversary edition of 2001. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to wait. I'm going to watch it right rather than just you know streaming it or something like that. You might as well. If you've waited these years to see it, you might as well wait a right. while longer. Right. E- exactly. So I'm sure that it'll, it'll retrospectively make my list. Yeah. But I'll report back in October. I'll let people know yeah. what I think. I hope you enjoy it.
1: I hope you... <laughs> I think I think you will.
0: It's on my movie poster. Yeah, it's on my poster of hundred essential films. So I'll be able to scratch that off once I once I watch it.
1: But it's it's one of those films as well where even if you don't like it, you can also see, if you and if you're a fan of cinema, but if you don't like it, you can see why it's in an important film
0: and the, the, influ- the things it did. Right. Stuff, yeah. I'm sure I'll at least appreciate it if nothing else but I'm, I'm hoping I'll enjoy it. Oh
1: yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Very cool. Well there you go. So that is 1968 and that is our episode but before we wrap things up Phil, why don't you tell people what we have in store for them next week?
1: Next time we're going to be going after the ending of In the Mouth of Madness and King Kong. So
0: That should be fun. And you can pick any version of King Kong you want because they're all going to work.
1: Yeah, you will. And we'll be going doing our top 10 favorite films of 1971
0: all right should be fun yes all right so that is it for us for now uh as always we thank you greatly for listening i'm mike spring and i'm phil edwards and we'll see you next week after the ending i've had an experience in the past like week i haven't had in many many years which is there's a cricket living outside of our house And it's that time of year where we have the windows open, so I'm watching TV late at night, and all I hear for hours on end is chirp, chirp, oh, chirp, good chirp, God, chirp, yeah. chirp, yeah. chirp, It's, it's so <laughs> annoying, to the point where I even went online and looked up, what is the lifespan of a cricket, which is about three months, which is longer than I wanted to hear. So, but every night for the past week, I've been listening to this for hours, right? It like drills into your brain. So today I'm listening to one of my podcasts, a music podcast, and the the two guys on it, they record in their basement. Yeah. Or no, they record in their garage. Okay. Well, obviously they must have had a cricket nearby because... I started hearing this cricket while I'm at work and I'm like, did it follow me here? I was going to say the that, hell? did it follow you? <laughs> so I, I hit pause on the play, on the podcast and it stops. So I hit play again and it starts up again. I was like, oh, they must have a cricket nearby. But I was like, I'm like, it is killing me. I'm like, <laughs> I want to listen to this podcast, but I really can't take any more cricket noises than I, I already have to deal with. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, there's probably all sorts of things, you know. Uh,
1: oh no, forget. forgot. I don't know where I'm going with that one. Okay. <laughs> okay. Jack Woke. He was sat in the Oval Office.
0: I'm sorry. I just made me think back to our conversation like two or three weeks ago about how woke we are. It's like Jack woke. (laughs) He sat up and put on a Black Lives Matter (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt. Then he went on the internet and started blogging. Yeah. He went on (laughs) Tumblr and put everything (laughs) to rights. He took on the handle Social Justice Warrior (laughs) 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 and instantly became a vegan.
1: Yeah. He took on the the handle Social Justice Warrior 69 to be ironic. Right. (laughs)
0: He started growing a hipster beard. <laughs> he started wearing glasses, even though he had perfect eyesight. <laughs> he, ca- he carried a record play around with him wherever he <laughs> went. It's
1: <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs>